This week's episode of Carson Sack is presented by Pediasure. Pediasure, if you are concerned about your child's nutrition, ask your doctor about Pediasure. It's a complete, balanced source of nutrition with protein, vitamins, and minerals growing children need. Plus, it's available in five kid-approved flavors they will love. This week's episode is also presented to you by 7-Up with Calcium. 7-Up with Calcium is introducing a whole new kind of soft drink with real fruit juice, 10% of your daily calcium needs, and only 10 calories in every 8-ounce serving. It tastes so good you can feel it in your bones. For great taste with calcium, the only way to go is up. Hit that ish. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it is so good to be back. This is Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls, and if you don't know, now you know. Like I said, it is so good to be back in your ears, giving you this podcast. I did take this summer off. I apologize to just leave all you listeners out there wanting to hear me more. I apologize, but... Know that it wasn't in vain. I did make some improvements to the podcast and gave some more thought to segments and whatnot that I'm going to be doing for you all. That's going to start right away on this episode, the first episode of this season, I guess, with an interview with two University of Kentucky football managers that will be coming up in a little bit for you. Just to give you a little heads up of what this episode's all going to include, it's going to hold a lot of college football. Um, It's only two days away, not counting today, so I'm just going to pretty much cover the first week of that, give you some season-long predictions, some sleepers for Heisman, sleeper playoff teams, and whatnot, just to get you ready, like you're already not, for that first Saturday of college football coming up in two days. Also on this episode, we have to talk about the super fight between Mayweather and Conor McGregor that took place last Saturday. And then we also have to look at the blockbuster trade that happened in the NBA between the Cavaliers and the Celtics. Before we get into all that other stuff, though, I do want to give you this interview with the University of Kentucky football managers, two guys I'm friends with, Cam Gardner, Zach Childress. It's a great interview, I will tell you that. I want to give that to you, get the ball rolling on this episode before I dive into everything else. First, just because the interviews, it's something I'm going to try and do periodically on the podcast now with somebody involved in the sports field in some way or another. So... Like I said, it's a great interview. Sit back, relax, enjoy it. Here is the interview with University of Kentucky football managers. So I am here right now in the studio with Cam Gardner and Zach Childress, two of the University of Kentucky football managers. Uh, how are y'all doing today? Doing pretty good today. It's great to be on the show. Honored. Happy to be here, Carson. So, Cam, what position are you a manager for? Do you specialize in? I'm the student manager for the quarterback, so I'm really just there to make them the best players that they can be. And what about you, Zach? I'm a defensive line manager, and I uh, also do some personnel signals on the sideline, and as well hold up some uh, personnel cards and uh, let the defense know what the offense is doing sometimes. All right, gentlemen, first question of this interview. One thing that happened in the offseason that didn't even take place on the field, it happened to the field, the changing of Commonwealth Stadium name to Kroger Field. How do y'all feel about that? Just going forward, Cam, thoughts on it? At first, I was uh, skeptical because I'm a homegrown from Lexington, and Commonwealth has been what I've grown up with. But in the idea of this, this curse we have with the Florida Gators having 31 years in a row, not beating them. I feel like this is our year, keeping them at home with the first year named Kroger Field. I really feel like we have a really good chance this year. What about you, Chili? Um, uh, I'm not a real big fan of the naming. Uh, it doesn't really roll off the tongue when you think about SEC stadiums. You know, you got your Bryant Denny's, you got the Swamps, 
and then you got Kroger Field. Doesn't really roll off the tongue there, but uh, nothing against Kroger. I'm a, I'm a shopper there sometimes. Frequent shopper, but they're uh, ten for ten deals. You yeah, can't beat that. You really can't. So moving on now, the next big thing when it comes to managers is the stigma around them is oh they're just glorified water boys. They just get guys water and whatnot. Childress, you were telling me you hold up player play cards, things like that. Room. Give us a little bit more insight what you do with the D line um, and whatnot. Yeah, that's a good question, Carson. Um, you see, every day of practice and uh, every day for games, it's like preparing for a war. It's like a storm in Normandy Beach, and uh, we're trying to get these players ready. We're trying to get these coaches ready. We're trying to win football games out here, and we're not just getting the water. We're we're there mentally. We're there physically, getting what the coaches need, whatever they need, get what the players need, whatever they need. We're there to get a W. Cam, speak a little bit about the quarterback. On the offensive side of the ball, I would say preparing them for the game is the most important thing. We actually don't deal with water. That's the athletic trainers. Mm -hmm. We're on the equipment side of the ball. We're there to perfect their physical ability in the game of football. So the athletic trainers are the nerds. You all are actually doing stuff, little athleticism being shown during practice. That's big time for the managers around the country, so that information Mm -hmm. got out to people that listen to this. So now that we just heard that managers actually do a little something besides just get water, Cam, what is some of the best things you get to do as a manager and the worst things that some people just don't even know about that just suck? People don't realize the hours that you have to put in for this. It's not your stereotypical 40-hour week. You get in, you get out. Your hours can vary from four hours to a day to 12 hours a day, and that's what you – it's mm-hmm. just spontaneous work. Um, but – uh, like on a side note of that, the positive is like you used to get to surround yourself with stud athletes that can sometimes become your best friends, and you realize how fortunate you are to have the uh, opportunity to do it. Children, same question: best and worst. Um, worst laundry. We got to go in there and get some wash rags sometimes. Uh, sometimes we got to do some uh, coaches loops, some players loops. Takes a little long, but you know what? You love the sport. You have to. You got. I mean, you gotta love all of it. And then the worst part, laundry, best part. Best part, best part I'm going to say the swag. Easily. I got that free swag. Nobody else has got it. Speaking of swag, Chili, players on the University of Kentucky football team that have swag, you all are around them almost every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you just name some players, maybe what makes them mm-hmm. as cool, that has that swag and whatnot? I'm going to say a player who has the most swag just comes off of them. Chuck Walker. The dude just makes plays. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You throw the ball up, the kid's coming down with it. I've seen it many a time. Uh Uh-huh. Player with underrated swag, you don't really see. I'm going to go with my boy, Naquez Pringle. The boy makes plays. He's a nose guard. Doesn't get a lot of credit, but he makes tackles. He hustles. The dude just emanates swag. He's the truth. With a name like Pringle, you would think he's going to have some swag. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. So you two are with the UK football team pretty much every day. You're with these guys on the field, in the locker room, all that stuff. I'm sure you all got to meet a bunch of great guys. Who are some of the top three guys or so on the team that were just great personality, keeps the team together, keeps everybody's spirits high and whatnot? Chill, you want to go first? I would say the D-line's definitely got some of the most personality on the team as a unit. I mean, they're just some loud guys. Uh, I love them all. Uh, Big personalities, I would say Jay Jones. The dude, he comes in at 6 a.m., the dude is at 100. Nobody else is at 100. The dude is at 100. The dude leaves 6 p.m., 12 hours later, still at 100 all day. Nothing but energy. Dude's wild. Cam? Cash Daniel, linebacker. He brings that real, like, your countryside that brings it to the football. Takes it away from, like, you know, like, have this swag, that swag. He really just brings a traditional football player. Gotta love him. So, obviously, on Saturdays in the fall when the Cats are playing at Kruger Field, you both are there on the sidelines or around the team, but not a lot of the mayors get to travel or so for away games. Cam, you said you've been to two away games. Just talk about those, the atmosphere, how it was, what games they were. And then, Chili, you've been to a lot. Just talk about, I guess, some of the best ones well, you've been to and whatnot. Cam, you want to start us off? I was fortunate fortunate enough to go to uh, the University of Alabama as my first road trip game. Um, and obviously that's probably the top tier SEC program uh, out there in football. And um, just really being there, first five minutes of the game, you can just tell that 
really like the morale of the whole stadium was on another level than any other school in the SEC. Chili? Uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, the swamp. Now, there's a reason they call it a swamp. That campus is smack dead in the middle of a swamp. Place is crazy. Not a, I don't see any stadium, nothing but orange all around that stadium. Love that place. Energy, wild. There's gators in that place. So we've kept this interview a little light. Now it's time to get to the nitty-gritty, ask the tough questions here. You all, like I said, are with these guys almost all the time. What is a hidden talent of one of the players that people just might not know about at all? I don't know if I can disclose this information, but uh, I'm going to take a leap here and say K1 Ross is the undefeated rock, rock, paper, scissor champion. No one can beat him in the facility. Everybody tries to challenge him. Nobody can do it. He knows what you put on your hand before you put it there. So as we're winding this interview down, uh, we shift gears. There's a lot of focus on individual play in college football. And granted, these guys might not be between the numbers impacting the outcome of the game, but they're on the sidelines doing it. What is your all's goals for yourselves as managers this year throughout the year that you're going to help the University of Kentucky win some games? Great question, Carson. Um, I'd like to uh, speed up my performance in fixing helmets. I'd like to lock it down to a solid four seconds. Uh, I would also like to get my personnel cards out speedier. Uh, the defense sometimes needs to know the offensive personnel a little faster. I'd like to get it as correct as possible. Uh, I'm just going to do what I can to get some W's, and nobody beats Kentucky 33 years in a row. So let me tell you that. That's true. <laughs> Go ahead, Cam. Well, it's 32 years, but uh, we'll we'll leave that in, uh, under the bridge. But um, honestly, it's just a fear that every time I'm tossing the ball with Steven, Drew, Gunner, you name it, that like there's just going to be that one time I jam their finger. And I really just want to make sure I'm fully aware of their well-being to make sure the Cats can pull out a W. God forbid there is another injury to the Cats this year, but it just seems that the depth of every position, the line, the receiver, quarterback, another great position with depth that if you buy some awful luck, did jam someone's finger, there's always somebody step right up. All right, so I just want to thank uh, Cam Gardner, Zach Childress, for joining me for this first interview on Carson Sack Podcast. Where we talk balls. Um, last question: If you just want to give any shout-outs, any final thoughts, anything like that, you're more than welcome. This is your time and place to do it, Cam. Go ahead. Big shout out to Walker Wood. He's a Lexington uh, brother of mine, and uh, he just really brings good morale to the team. Chili, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Coach Stoops. I don't know if you knew this person, but he's a big listener of the show. And uh, I think he'd be really happy to hear us on the show. Uh, I'm glad I could do that for him. He's got two great guys on his side. I'm sure this this season. They'll be good in good hands with you two on the sidelines. Thanks for joining me, guys. Cast by sure. That interview was brought to you by Cracker Barrel. At Cracker Barrel Old Country Stores, it's always been about pleasing people. They're known for doing stuff, you know, just, just a little different like. Every Cracker Barrel store offers home-style cooking made from scratch right there in their own kitchens. You'll find some exciting new items and plenty of the old favorites, and they know you're going to love them. And they're all made with the quality ingredients you'd be expecting from a Cracker Barrel. And don't forget about their retail store where you're going to find lots of nice gifts and stuff and plenty of howdies and some darn good buys too. So stop into a Cracker Barrel old country store near you for some good shopping and a great meal. And hey, they guarantee you ain't leaving hungry. And just to build on that, if you don't like Cracker Barrels, you're probably not the demographic I'm trying to reach for this show. I love Cracker Barrels, so you you all should too. I told y'all it was going to be a great interview. It really was. Once again, I want to thank Cam Gardner, Zach Childress for coming on, being the very first interview on the podcast. So when I make it big, boys, you all can say I was the first to be interviewed by him for his podcast. Thank you, boys, once again. So now after the interview, we are going to dive head first. We about to dive in to some college football talk. Before we get into it though, I do just want to run down the rankings real quick. The top 10 AP poll released on August 21st this year. Sitting up top, you got Alabama, 
who lost last year in the National Championship in an instant classic to Clemson. They had 52 first place votes. I'll say that again, 52. So pretty much the consensus, number one. Sitting number two, you had Ohio State with three first place votes. Then you have Florida State at three. Four, you have USC, which every year they've seemed to be getting up there higher and higher in the rankings preseason, but they faltered a little bit in the season. So I'm really interested to see the huge expectations they have this year, especially for their quarterback, how they're going to respond. At five, you have Clemson, and then six, seven, eight, nine, and ten go as follows. Penn State, Oklahoma, Washington, Wisconsin, and Oklahoma State with Michigan sitting at 11, just peeking into the top 10. One thing to note here is the SEC is only represented by Alabama for a while now. The SEC has been widely regarded as the best conference, but I'm going to extend it out to 11 now if you look at it. Four of the top 11 teams, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Michigan, that's 36% of the top 11 teams come from the Big Ten. The Big Ten, for a while now, in the past, was only thought of as a one-team conference, Ohio State, especially in 08 and 09 when they lost to Florida and LSU back-to-back. But it's just speaking to how things just transition. It's a full circle, everything like that. Conferences, they fluctuate up and down, and it's good to see some parity now within the Big Ten and the SEC. The argument is the SEC teams are more top-to-bottom better than most conferences, which there's a ton of talent in that area, the southeastern part of the country. So smaller teams like a Mississippi State, like a... Um, Arkansas, like that, who are in the SEC, because they're in such a hotbed of talent, their teams are so still good because of the athletes that come from that area. I 100% agree. It's just going to be interesting, though, to see how the SEC stacks up this year with only one SEC school team in the top 10. The Pac-12 has a very interesting argument to be the best. And now the Big 12, them implementing a championship game between the number one and number two teams in the Big 12. They have a claim to who could be the best conference. It's just a really good season that it's shaping up to be. And with every great season comes a great player. I'm talking about the Heisman Trophy winner. Last year's Lamar Jackson coming out of nowhere from UofL and the ACC to shock the world. This year, though, it's another great group of talent that has a possibility to be the Heisman winner. Looking at a couple of those guys, the front runner, Sam Darnold, the quarterback from USC, like I spoke about. He and the rest of the Trojans from USC have so much expectations this year, preseason ranking in the top 10. They've always seemed to, the past couple years, be trending up and up and up. They uh, had a great game last year in the Rose Bowl against Penn State where they won. That was kind of Sam Darnold's coming out point. He got put in last year, and I think they won seven or eight games in a row to end the year. He's the frontrunner right now. He's sitting at 5-1 to one odds last year, over 3,000 passing yards, 31 passing touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns. So he's kind of mobile, not as mobile. He's a shifter type guy, but he's going to be looked upon to put up big stats and go out and win the Trojans game. So if he can do that, there's no reason he won't be in the Heisman running all year long. Another guy you got to think about, the guy who won it last year, Lamar Jackson. Just these ridiculous stats. Over 3,500 passing yards, 30 passing touchdowns. Over 1,500 rushing yards and 21 rushing touchdowns. He's sitting at the next best odds with 6-1. and one. Once again, it's going to be the Lamar Jackson show in the Ville. He's going to be looked to to put up big numbers again, win them games at times. His O-line last year, he had to improvise a little bit more. Apparently in the offseason, he's been working on with Bobby Petrino to master in the offense, crafting it a little bit more to his specifics and his strengths. Bobby wants him to learn to be a little bit better of a pocket passer It would be scary if he did that. He can throw the ball half a mile with a flick of the wrist. Look at the flick of the wrist. And pretty much his legs, his scrambling ability, his mobility is second to none. Mike Vick said he was better than him when he was in college. Everything is looking good for Lamar this year. The only thing that worries me is the receivers this year. 
There's a couple question marks there. And the O-line, that was a very big question mark last year. It really came to the forefront in the bowl game against LSU. If they can get that figured out, I really don't see a reason Lamar Jackson can't find his way back to New York and be in the Heisman talks all year. Maybe be the first repeat winner since Archie Griffin from Ohio State. The next guy we look at is my personal pick to win the Heisman this year. He was there last year as a junior. He threw for almost 4,000 yards. He sat at 3,965. He threw 40 touchdowns. He only had 177 rushing yards, but he did have six rushing touchdowns. He's sitting at 20 to 1. I'm talking about the Baker. I'm talking about Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma's quarterback. I'm so high on this guy. I'm He's probably my favorite player outside of an Ohio State player just because I like his swagger, I like the way he plays the game. He did lose a lot of firepower this year, so defenses are going to be able to focus in on him. He lost D.D. Westbrook, he lost Joe Mixon, he lost uh, P. Ryan, both running backs and that. If they can find replacements to help just take the pressure off of him a little bit, and players that can step up in big time, big time moments and make some plays for him. There's no reason I I could see him putting up 45 passing touchdowns, maybe 10 rushing touchdowns. And if he does that, he's got, like I said, a great chance to not only be in New York, but to win it as well. He's my pick, Baker Mayfield, your 2018 Heisman Trophy winner. So, so far you could notice a theme here with all the Heisman Trophy candidates for this year. It's all been quarterbacks. But now we shift some focus. We shift to the running backs. I think the best running back in the country, without a doubt, is Penn State, Shaquan Barkley. Last year, almost 1,500 yards, missed it by four yards, 18 rushing touchdowns, four receiving touchdowns. He's sitting at 25 to 1 odds. He's going to play a tough schedule going to play a lot of tough defenses in the Big Ten, but the good news is he is the vocal point of that offense, and uh, James Franklin has made it a point to get him the ball since he's been on the team, so he's going to get a lot of carries per game, a lot of opportunities to make big plays. I think if a running back is going to do it this year, it's definitely Barkley from Penn State. The next running back you got to look at, uh, Bo Scarborough from Alabama, pretty much uh, Derrick Henry 2.0. Last year, he his numbers were down a little bit. He was splitting carries with Damian Harris, but he's a great player. That's the only thing, though, that makes me a little hesitant to go all in on Bo is that he's going to split time with Damian Harris. Last year, only 812 rushing yards. Did have 11 rushing touchdowns, though, but... The whole time split thing, it's hard to get good productive numbers out of a running back unless you're going to get all the carries like Henry did when he won it a couple years ago. So, so Bo, good player, just I don't think going to get enough touches the ball to win the Heisman. So those are pretty much the favorites. Just now, some players are going to fall under the radar. Mississippi State's quarterback, Nick Fitzgerald, I like him a lot as a player. He brings a lot of toughness to the team. Mississippi State, not going to be really that good of a team, which is always a problem. Not a lot of Heisman winners come from bad teams. I understand that it translates. A good player should get his team to win more games. So he's going to have some trouble there. Um, Brandon not Brandon Flowers, Quinton Flowers, my apologies, from uh, South Florida. The new coach, Charlie Strong, down there. He's going to fly under the radar as well. He's a really good dual-threat quarterback. And then you also, Mason Rudolph, the quarterback from Oklahoma State. The way they sling the ball down there, just really impressive. He's going to have a lot of opportunity to put up big numbers. And then a guy that has pretty much been in the Heisman talks his entire career since he's been a starter at Ohio State, JT Barrett. I really think this year, JT Barrett, I'll get to this a little bit more, is going to come out and just try and bury people, put up as many points and stats as he can, but I'm going to get to that a little bit later on in this episode. So now that we took care of all that business, now we can talk about the games that are going to be happening this first week of the college football season. And that starts actually on Thursday night between Ohio State as they go to Indiana to face the Hoosier daddies, the Hoosiers of Indiana. And the big thing here for Ohio State and this entire year is going to be trying to get over that 
that ass whooping, I'm going to be pretty frank with you, that ass whooping that Clemson gave them last year in the college football playoff. Like I just mentioned, though, with JT Barrett and his Heisman odds, JT has pretty much this whole summer been trying to refine his throwing motion, get more accurate and whatnot. His mobility, his north and south running, his toughness never been questioned. His accuracy and arm strength always been a little suspect. I honestly think in JT Barrett's last year, he is going to try and just murder teams. And I mean that on the scoreboard, physically, not physically, obviously, but just punish kids, punish teams. I think he's going to try and just run up scores and just make it known that he is a good quarterback. And Urban Meyer, his coach, is a guy that from time to time is known to do that. He leaves starters in, which is I'm totally fine with. This game, though, I'm going to take the Buckeyes. They've had so long to prepare. I understand that it's at Indiana. That's a little bit too. And I understand Indiana's had time to prepare. But Ohio State this offseason hired Indiana's old offensive coordinator, and they had a ton of firepower. They were slinging the ball around all over the field when he was there. JT Barrett, it might take a game to just get used to the offense a little bit. Like I said, I know he's had all summer to learn and whatnot, but it's hard to get game reps speed like that in practice and whatnot. So, like I said, the Buckeyes might start out a little slow just getting used to the offense, but I expect a big day from JT Barrett and also a big day from Mike Weber and from KJ Hill, the receiver for Ohio State. I'm big on all three of those guys this year, especially JT they're going to lead them to a Buckeye victory this week. Then the next big game this week, I mean, obviously, it's one versus three. You got Alabama against Florida State, neutral site game. I personally like Alabama in this game just because they're the number one team. They're number one team for a reason. And something that they have this year that they haven't had in the past recent years is a quarterback that is returning. Jalen Hurts, the freshman last year, started, played wonderfully, almost won him a national championship, is back for his sophomore year, and I only think he's going to get better and better. I don't think this year, but in the future, Heisman winner for sure. He's not just a game manager. He can go out there and manage games for you if you need, but he's also a guy that if you need it in the fourth quarter, a big play made through the air, on the ground, anything like that, I have full confidence in Jalen Hurts. And I know Nick Saban does their defense. They lost a lot of guys to the draft, but it's Alabama. They just relock, reload. The running back situation, they've got two great guys there. Like I mentioned, Bo Scarborough, Damian Harris, two great backs there. I'm not 100% sure about the receiving core and tight ends, but again, it's Alabama. They relock, they reload, and they just get better and better it seems like now I know I hyped up Alabama a lot but that's not to sleep on Florida State at all this year last year Florida State's defense at the start of the year against UofL got exposed got shown pretty much got bent over and spanked by Lamar Jackson and the rest of the Cardinals in the Ville but then they matured they got older a lot of young guys on that defense and then at the end of the year when they played Michigan yeah they did score some points but they just you could see how much better they played as a team, as a unit. Guys were stepping up, and a ton of those guys are back. I think Florida State's defense is going to be one of the best in the country this year. Then you also have Francois, the quarterback, coming back. He was a freshman last year, sophomore now. He was a true freshman as well. So a lot of mistakes that he made could be attributed to that freshman the growing curve, the growing pains. But this year, I really like him a lot. They lose Dalvin Cook, they lose a couple of linemen, but the linemen that are coming in, I've only heard good things about them. Jimbo Fisher is raving about the receivers and the linemen. Whoever wins this game, it's great for them, it's a great re uh, resume builder for the college football playoff, but whoever loses, both of the, neither of these teams is just going to fall off the face of the earth and be terrible this year. They're going to be in the top 10, top 15 all year, so... It's a good gauge game to see where you're at, how you're doing, but by no means does the loser of this game, who I think is going to be Florida State, lose any really points either-wise to get to the college football playoff unless they just get smacked by Alabama, which I just don't see happening. But Alabama is going to win this game. 
Next game we can look at is between Michigan, 11th in the country, and Florida, 17th in the country. Florida having to suspend some of their key players for this game. Michigan getting Spath back at quarterback, having another year offseason to learn Harbaugh's offense. Harbaugh having another offseason and a year to mold Spate. I really like Michigan this year a lot. Everybody says last year was their year. All these things. They had so many upperclassmen. Harbaugh, the coach. Granted, Harbaugh had some guys in there, but they weren't his guys. Harbaugh knows what he's doing as a coach, as a recruiter. He knows the type of guys he wants in there. And I think this year is third year. They have a really good chance to surprise some people. They have a pretty easy schedule again, but... I just think Harbaugh, his third year, easy schedule, and the big game at the end of the year, Ohio State coming to Michigan. I'm going to say it right now. I am, as an Ohio State fan, very nervous about that game. Even more nervous than I was about the game last year in Columbus with all the playoff implications it has. This game that year, this year, might not even have any playoff implications at all. But I am still extremely nervous for the reasons I said. Third year, under Harbaugh, has his guys in there, has a quarterback back for a second year at Michigan for Ohio State to lose that game. In this game, though, against Florida, I'm going to take Michigan. Florida, their quarterback situation is still a little questionable, and then all the suspensions that they just had to do this close to game is going to ask for a lot of guys that that really haven't been in big game situations to step up and be ready for first week it's just a lot to ask for the Gators, so I'm going to take the Wolverines in this one in a very fun, close game. Probably, I think, is going to be the game of the weekend. So now that we covered the national stage, we're going to hit the hometown stage as well. We're going to talk about UofL. They play Purdue in the first game. Really, all you need to know on the UofL side is Lamar Jackson. He's back. On the Purdue side, though, new head coach Jeff Brom coming over from WKU where he really took them to be a power in the Conference USA. He had players, uh, especially quarterbacks, putting up huge numbers. Um, I think Purdue under him is going to grow as a program and get good, but his first game, it's hard to take kids that aren't your talent, your type of kids. No offense to the kids that are already at Purdue, in case any of y'all are listening. Um, But it's hard to take kids that really aren't your kids and mold them and everything like that to be good especially in your first game in your first season I think it's going to be a kind of rough season for Purdue I think they come out and play real hard though every game because Brahm is that type of guy that type of player he was and he's going to be that type of coach too and demand that out of his players but in this game I think Lamar Jackson is just too much and a thing that is slept on a lot with UofL because Lamar Jackson puts up so much numbers their defense is very good almost every year Uh, Todd Grantham there he has a system he knows what he likes he gets the guys to play to that level of intensity every game every year I their defense is very slept on I think throughout the course of the year that's something to keep your eyes on besides Lamar Jackson and UofL just notice how well they play and notice how well hopefully they play in this game so they make me look right and now we're going to wrap up the breakdown of the college football games from the first week with the University of Kentucky, led by great managers, Cam Gardner and Zach Chodas, who were on here earlier. Against Southern Miss, it's at Southern Miss. UK has already lost two players on the offensive side of the ball. They lost a tackle, and Landon Young, a five-star player prospect, now has to step in for him. He did get some reps last year during games, but he's only a sophomore, so there's a little question marks there, but he's a five-star. He's got a lot of talent, a lot of ability, a lot of upside, so pretty confident there. But what hurts a lot is a loss of Dorian Baker, the receiver. He was pretty much our number one receiver last year, and it's going to take a lot of effort from a lot of unproven guys to replace what he gave. One of the guys, they mentioned him a little earlier, uh, Charles Walker, he's going to have to step up, not only in the special teams games, but uh, on the offensive side of the ball as well. And I think he's ready to. It's never been that he hasn't. He's not not been ready to, he just hasn't been given the opportunity, and unfortunately, fortunately with this injury, 
he does get that opportunity. I think he's going to get a little bit more touches per game this year just because of that injury. So it kind of sucks, but it's also kind of good. Another person that is going to be vital to success for Kentucky this year is Benny Snell, the sophomore running back, put up great numbers as a freshman. If he can keep things going, the O-line can keep going, and uh, Johnson, at quarterback, isn't turning the ball over, making a couple plays here and there, UK has a really good chance to beat a lot of teams this year. Their defense is greatly improved, but... They have a good schedule out of the West. They drew um, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So teams that are kind of down Ole Miss has a lot going on with their coaching situation and violations and whatnot. They get Florida and Tennessee at home here at Kroger Field. Shout out Kroger. Hopefully you all start sponsoring me so I can get some good 10 for 10 deals or something like that. Or your freaking chicken salad. That stuff's amazing. And they also draw UofL at Kroger Field. So all the big games pretty much are here at Kentucky. Uh, they do go to South Carolina, and I think that's going to be a tough game for them. But that's coming up later on. Everything is. This week, though, they got to take care of the Eagles from Southern Miss, and I think they do that. I think it's a tough game. Last year, the Eagles came up here from Southern Miss, and they beat us. We were up uh, 28 or something in the first half, and they just kept running the ball. I think they ran the same play the entire second half, and we just couldn't stop it defensively. But I think Stoops has the boys going ready. They go down there in a hard-fought game and win one, get the season off to a hot start. So now we look ahead. We've talked about the Heisman. We've talked about Week 1. Let's talk about the granddaddy of them all here. Let's talk about the college football playoff. First, I just want to give some teams that I think are going to go under the radar but have a chance to maybe sneak in, make some noise, be some players when it comes to deciding who's going to be in the college football playoff. And first, I'm going to start off with TCU. I'm always high on this team. I really don't know why. Last year, I picked them to win the national championship, and they did awful. They lost six of their final nine games, and they barely made it into the Liberty Bowl. But this year, uh, Gary Patterson's teams, if you look at his track record, they always come back strong after questionable years and this team has a ton of experience coming back a lot of juniors a lot of seniors and a lot of speed coming back as well if they can return to their ways being in the big 12 they're going to be getting the uh conference championship game this year so they've got a, a good chance as anybody to get into the college football playoff especially if they play well and if they can somehow make that new big 12 championship game the next team I look at, it's a team from out west. It was UCLA last year that was supposed to really shock the world. Josh Rosen was supposed to come out and win the Heisman. He's still ranked pretty high for drafts for the NFL and whatnot. But this year, this year is the year I think they really put together. They only won four games in 2016, so I mean... It's pretty easy to improve on that. I know it's asking a lot to make a huge jump from a four-win team to possibly being in the playoff, but I just like Josh Rosen a lot, and I think Jim Moore as a coach has a lot of talent coming back. They're deep at every position, and Rosen, if you have a good quarterback, you have a good chance of winning every week, and that's what Rosen is. So UCLA, right now they're flying a little under the radar. They're licking their wounds from last year, but they'll be ready. I think they're going to play a part in the Pac-12 championship. It's going to be around there all year at the top of those standings and possibly in the college football playoff picture as well. This next team that I'm extremely high on as well, they're not overlooked, I feel, by any means, but I don't think they're taken as serious as they should be this year, is Georgia. They're top 25 this year preseason. Kirby Smart, his second year there. Um, Jacob Eason, they were both coming in first years together, but now second year together. Jacob Eason's a great quarterback, can throw the ball a mile, reads defenses really well. Kirby Smart, a really defensive-minded guy. They have 10 returning starters on off on defense, excuse me. I'll say that again. 10 returning starters on defense with a defensive-minded head coach. You don't like you don't see that a lot. That's their defense is going to be so good this year. That's going to keep them in so many games and it's really going to make 
it hard for teams to obviously score on them. But I think their defense is just going to be able to crack teams and just make them give up hope early. And then Eason's going to come over the top and just put up great, huge numbers. And all of this without even talking about Nick Chubb, who has the potential and the athleticism and the playmaking ability, whether it's catching the ball or running the ball in the backfield uh, as the running back, to win the Heisman. So Georgia very slept on. I think they have so many good things going for them. The defense, the head coach, the playmakers. Georgia, I'm super high on them this year. So now that we got... All of that knocked out. Here are my final four picks for the college football playoff and your national champion. The number one seed is going to go to the Alabama Crimson Tide. I honestly could see this team not losing a single game this year. Their schedule is favorable, and again, about the only game that looks like it could be a problem to them is their first one, which, I mean, even if they lose that, they still have a good chance of being the number one seed because Florida State's going to be around all year. And also the last game against Auburn at Auburn, the Iron Bowl. But I think Nick Saban by now, you should just come to realize, death taxes in Alabama football being good. For the two seed, I am going to roll with the Ohio State Buckeyes. I think, like I, you obviously know now, I think JT Barrett's going to be really good. Mike Weber's going to be real good. They got a lot of playmakers on the outside that not a lot of people know about, but the people in Columbus and the team itself is pretty high on. Also, that defense, uh, Nick Bosa, Sam Hubbard, the D-line is super deep. Um, they got a lot of good playmakers on that side of the ball too, and it's Urban Meyer. You kind of, it's like Nick Saban at Alabama. You kind of expect wherever Urban Meyer's at for them to be good. So I think the Buckeyes wrap up the two seed for this year's college football playoff. Now the three seed is the one I've had the most trouble with. I think this position, this slot, is going to go to whoever wins the first Big Twelve championship game this year, and I think that game is going to be between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So between those two, I'm going to go with Oklahoma to be the three seed. And I understand that if it did happen and it worked out that way, it would be a rematch of a game that already happened this year, Oklahoma going to Ohio State. That's happened on September 9th. But I think that game is going to be one of the best of the year. And I think Oklahoma might only lose that game this entire year. Now, granted, they do have to go to Oklahoma State, who's a top-10 team with a great quarterback, a lot of weapons around him. And Oklahoma State, they're like I just said, they got weapons on offense. They're nothing to uh, smirk about. But I think at the end of the day, uh, Baker Mayfield makes enough plays and gets them into the college football playoff at the third spot. And then the fourth team this year, um, I'm going to actually go with a Pac-12 team here, and I'm going to go with the Washington Huskies. Uh, Jake Browning, he only threw 10 passes in the spring game. He dealt with some injuries, and that was the other thing. He dealt with injuries and still put up insane numbers. He passed for 43 touchdowns last year. And then Dante Pettis on the outside, going to replace the speedy John Ross from last year. And the secondary has come along nicely. They lost some pieces to the NFL to that last year. The Pac-12 is it's wide open. Anybody could do it. But I think if a one-loss Pac-12 team like a Washington could be, they're going to be in the playoff. I just I think, and that makes the most sense for them to be at 4-2. So the fourth seed I'm going to give to the Washington Huskies. And then in those next two games, I'm going to go Ohio State and Alabama. Then after that, I'm just going to go Ohio State. I think it would be a great national championship game to have Ohio State and Alabama play in it. I think JT Barrett, it's been a theme this entire episode, he's going to go into freaking other world level type play this year, hopefully, and the Buckeyes can come out on top. And I know I'm an Ohio State fan, and you're probably like, oh, that's a homer pick, that's a homer pick, you only picked them because he likes them. Just look at their team, look at their roster, look at their depth, look at their coaching. They have the pieces to do it. The schedule isn't that demanding. They can do it. So that wraps up this week's College Football Talk. Next week, we'll be reviewing and recapping all the games that were on the slate for this week. I cannot wait for that. Also, it will be the first segment of the rapid refire for this season i don't even know if you want to call it that see the season of carson sack podcast and i cannot wait to give you all that 
Moving on, though, like I said, we do need to talk about two other things. A huge blockbuster trade between the Cavaliers and the Celtics for Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas. It's hit a bit of a snag now. Isaiah Thomas um, has a hip injury that the Celtics didn't fully to close. The Cavs are going to go back and kind of try and restructure the deal, either look for Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, or a uh, another pick that the Celtics have. I think that's asking a lot for what they're given and just Kyrie, but I think the deal will be done because I don't think Danny Ainge really wants to pay Isaiah Thomas, who at times he can be a little, a little up and down in consistency, and if this hip injury is as serious as it is, I'd be willing to give away one of those for Kyrie, who... Even though he is leaving the Cavs, I'm a Cavs fan, I still regard him as probably one of the top three, top two uh, point guards in the NBA. So I think the deal gets done, and I think more than likely Jalen Brown gets thrown into the deal, and the Cavs will get him, uh, Crowder, a pick, and Isaiah Thomas, and that's that's a lot. You get Jalen Brown, who right now, I don't know if he's living up to the fourth overall pick or whatever the Celtics took him two years ago but he can develop into something nice a nice role player Crowder is a great D and three type of guy Isaiah you know what you're getting with him he's a great player not I don't think he's as good as Kyrie but a very good player and then a pick that you can turn into something or shop it around in trade talks there's a lot of options that the Cavs could do if they get this trade done so we look at the Cavs side, now we look at the Celtics side. You got Kyrie, you got Horford, you got Hayward, and then you have, if you don't give them away, you got Tatum. And I think Tatum is going to be Rookie of the Year, going to be so good. That's a good big four. That's an Eastern Conference Finals big four for a while. And that's a little hard to keep together. You got to find other pieces to maybe make the next step to beat the Cavs or beat LeBron, pretty much wherever he's at. But I think all in all, if the trade goes down, both sides win. Both sides get what they want in new players and everything like that, and it'll complete and help complete each team a little bit more. The next thing that we need to talk about that I mentioned earlier on in the show was the huge super fight between Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. Floyd obviously won 10th round TKO. Conor had a little bit of a problem with uh, the ref stopping it as early as he did, thought it should keep going. He wanted to be put down, but it's not really his call. It's the ref's call. If Connor looked defenseless, which I think he did, he looked like he was running on E, then it's the ref's call to step in and stop it, and he did. McGregor held his own for about six rounds, and then, I mean, you could even argue that he was winning the fight through five or six rounds it was going back and forth on one of the cards it was tied on I think another card it was shown he was winning but by that time six times three 18 most of his fights normally go at most if it's not a championship round championship fight 15 minutes at most it'll go 25 minutes so he was over by three or under by seven and if you look at the last fight he had in the uh, MMA UFC with uh, Diaz he was gassed at the end of that fight he was gassed probably middle of the third and that's a five round fight at five minutes apiece so if anything his cardio needs a little work but his boxing skills I think with more time to train and everything he could be a good boxer but the way Dana White was talking about it after the after the fight at the press conference I don't think there's another money fight out there like this one unless they do part two which I really hope doesn't happen for Floyd's sake, just because he's at the 50-0, 51-0 doesn't look as good as 50-0, but I don't think Dana White's going to let Mayweather, not Mayweather, McGregor do this again, I think he's going to have him just come back to UFC, which I'm totally fine with, I'd love to see a McGregor-Diaz 3 get that grudge match, the rubber match settled there. Um, on the other hand, it does speak extremely well for Floyd that he was able to adjust his game plan. He was being tentative as he usually was, going to probably try to win the fight on points and stuff. And McGregor had the reach advantage the entire fight, obviously. But Floyd changed his strategy, became aggressive. That just shows, I think, his greatness how on the fly in the middle of a fight he can change his strategy and still win. I mean, he hasn't knocked somebody out in over 10 years, which is, yeah, in over 10 years. So that's a at least five fights so that's a hard way to change your fighting strategy for the last five fights for this one fight 
I mean, you get stuck in your ways, you get comfortable, you get used to it, you learn all the tactics and whatnot, and to totally change that up in a fight, mid-fight, that's very impressive to do. I will say the entire sport of boxing and anyone that cares about boxing at all owes Floyd Mayweather a huge thank you after the, uh, the fight. If Mayweather would have lost this fight to McGregor, the entire sport of boxing becomes irrelevant. You're arguably best ever fighter in Floyd Mayweather, 50-0, just throwing that out there again for the arguably, would have lost to a guy who is not a boxer, is a UFC guy. I mean, he's a good, he's a good fighter, but he's not a boxer. That would literally just discredit your entire sport like that it would be over so the entire boxing world fans anybody that cares about about boxing or is into boxing owes Floyd Mayweather Floyd Mayweather a huge thank you after that fight well here we are at the end of the 17th episode of Carson Sack podcast the first one of the 2017 season if you will I cannot wait to continue to give you these podcasts. Anyone that listens, even for a minute, 10 minutes, an hour, the whole thing, I don't care. You listen two seconds. I thank you enough. Um, you will notice it is now on iTunes and not SoundCloud. It sounds a lot more official saying, hey, I have an iTunes podcast and I have a SoundCloud podcast. No offense to SoundCloud. Shout out to all the SoundCloud rappers out there hustling. But. Please like, subscribe, review. I feel I feel so big time saying like, subscribe, review. Leave a five star. Go ahead. It's fine. I also want to thank all the great sponsors that are allowing me to give this to you, this podcast free once a week, every Wednesday. Please expect it. Hold me to it. I will give it to you. Don't let me off the hook if I forget to do one. I'm not going to forget to do one. But just know that every Wednesday... We'll be talking balls right here on Carson Sack. Thank you for listening. It always it means so much to me to have you all listen. And as always, we will be seeing you.